We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, welcome Hornets fans. This is Richie. We thank you guys for joining us for another Buzzbeat. If you missed out on the previous episode, I went solo to talk about some of the team trends. I went on tiermaker.com and tiered the Hornets players through the first month of the season. We also celebrated our sixth anniversary of the podcast this past week. It's been an uh, incredible ride adding BG adding Lee. So now we've got a four-person crew, and I will be joined by Lee and BG today. So, Lee, how's it going? It's going. It's going. We've uh I'm excited about this episode because I think uh you know there there's there's interesting things about individual players on this Hornets team, but I think what's really on the mind of Hornets fans is like what the heck are we doing here and what and 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 where are we going over the next couple months so i'll just tease that and uh and say i'm doing well and i'm ready to ready to chat it up with you boys brian how you doing on this saturday morning i'm doing pretty well crazy basketball season truly in uh in full force but even before conference season gets started in college hoops or you know as feast week is getting started now in college hoops the hornet season is uh you know, obviously completely off the rails here and a um, lot to get into with regards to that. And it may be briefly touching on last night's game, uh, the double overtime loss to Cleveland, which just like felt like such a perfect encapsulation uh, of this season, honestly. And um, but yeah, happy to be here and uh, ready to get get rolling. Yeah, so we'll quickly touch upon that that game last night, uh, the double overtime loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, on the injury front, uh, everyone knows about the Lamelo injury and how that could affect uh, the team's plans moving forward. But it also sounds like DSJ had a little bit of a setback. I, I thought that earlier in the week that Clifford sounded a little bit optimistic, but then he changed his tune about DSJ. And he obviously did not return for the game last night. We did see the return of Hayward, uh, but it just feels like this team has a revolving door of injuries. When one person gets healthy, the other person 
uh, goes to the bench. So uh, I just want to mention several things from this game before we move on to some of the big picture stuff. I know we talk a lot about uh, Rozier's late game antics and stuff like that, and he did bring it last night. But I kind of wanted to mention the the play of the bigs, and I'm going to start with Mason Plumley. He he started off really strong. I think towards the end of the game, he seemed to have less of an impact. But I think regardless, you could probably make that he's been one of, if not the best players on this Hornets roster in the past three or, or four or five games. And uh, we'll we'll talk about this later, but maybe that increases his trade value a little bit. He's crashing the offensive glass. He's being physical. He's drawing fouls. He's working the DHO game and uh, just making quick decisions with his passing. Uh, another big Nick Richards, one of La- Lee's favorites here. Uh, he actually closed the game, but probably was helped out because Plumley fouled out. Regardless, we, we saw it. I think a lot of people were clamoring for it. Uh, he does two things well, and he did two things well last night. He does an awesome job of like high pointing like the rebounds really well. Like he's got the size on Evan Mobley. He's got well, I guess him and Allen are probably fairly similar. He still does a good job, regardless of who's who he's going up against, to high point that rebound and make sure that he takes advantage of his massive frame. He gets positioning. He gets behind opponents. And it's just something little like that. If uh, you're not paying attention, you might just think it's because he's wanting to go after those offensive rebounds. But I, th- I think it's the positioning as well. And then the last two bigs I want to talk about real briefly, P.J. Washington. He did allow an offensive rebound late in the game from Mobley, which resulted in a second chance points, which tied the game real late in the game. But I'm going to stay positive with PJ. And I thought he had a really impressive time driving the ball last night. And he had a couple floaters work against the Cavs. And I'm not sure that he's gotten like that comfortable with the floater yet, but uh, this could be an area where he can work on when teams start to run him off the line. And then the fourth and final big that I want to mention is Kai Jones. We saw first half minutes out of him in a somewhat competitive game. He is running around. He's active. He's forcing his opponents to work. He had a very nice putback dunk, and we always know about his athleticism on that end. Uh, But it's interesting to see how his minutes will pan out as the season plays and as we progress throughout the season as the team inevitably starts to lose a little bit and and the gap in the standings grow. He did play the four, not necessarily the five uh, last night. So it's not my ideal position, but as long as he's moving around, setting screens, just, you know, not just standing out there and spacing, I think you could make use of him a little bit. So Lee, BG, anything noteworthy from uh, last night's game? Yeah, just on on Kai uh, real quickly, it does seem like the minutes he got last night were sort of the like the throwaway minutes that JT Thor had been getting and in a double over overtime game JT Thor doesn't even play last night um so it'll be interesting to see if like they're choosing to give Kai more minutes as the season progresses because they're sort of seeing the inevitable that the tank is here and they need to start playing the young guys a little bit more and you've got to just see what you have with Kai Jones like Use a first round pick on him, and I know it's a sunk cost, but you also traded a first round pick. <laughs> and it will say at this rate, I'm not sure that thing's going to convey as a first round pick. Uh, sorry, uh, I guess that's it would have been New York now Atlanta. Like I, I don't know if that thing's ever going to end up <laughs> being a being a first. But anyways, it was good to see him on the floor, and I, I just want to see more of it. I also want to see more JT Thor too. Like uh, and I. 
eventually want to see Bryce McGowan's and Mark Williams. Like I want to see all these young guys play more, but hopefully uh, it does seem like at least this week, like Kai has moved up uh, in the pecking order, at least a, a, you know, a minor amount. PJ was awesome last night, man. I mean, 28 points, four steals, four assists, 10 boards, uh, eight of 10 shooting on two, six free throw attempts and having to battle against those monsters inside for Cleveland. Love, Mobley, Allen is uh, is no joke. You mentioned the, the floater game he had. He had a really nice um, fit, like spin finish off mm-hmm. of... He got Darius Garland on like a switch early in the fourth quarter, spun into the paint, and then I think it was Mobley that came over to protect it, the shot. Yes. EJ just timed it perfectly to you know arc it over the top of Mobley's 12 foot wingspan (laughs) and and get it in. And I'm glad you brought up Plumlee and Richards too. I know I just mentioned this with regards to PJ, but it is incredible how much pressure Cleveland's big four can put on your opposing centers. Like it does not seem fun to play center against the Cavaliers, not just because like you're probably going to get dunked on, by Mobley or Allen, and you're probably going to have a couple of your shots blocked or strongly contested finishes that you think are going to be there are just going to get wiped away. But also the pressure those two guards put on you, Mitchell and Garland. Um, and you could see it last night, like Garland and Mitchell's, this is true of Mitchell as well, but those guys just have, they have answers for every coverage, even isolated, right? Like even, you, obviously, you can put the, you can pair those guys together, and they can really do damage. But Garland's one of those guys. Like if you're in the drop, he's going to shoot a pull up or get to the floater. If you trap, they're still getting to the middle of the floor. They're going to throw it to the short roll. And Mobley and Allen have really nice passing chemistry uh, from my vantage point, and they're going to tic tac toe and get to the short roll and get to the lob and be dunking on top of you. Um, playing four on three on the backside, and, and Mobley is like, I mean, he's really built to be that the connector in that role. Like he's pretty special at that type of stuff, and he's just getting better. And yeah, so anyways, I just think the what you're asked to do if you're playing center against Cleveland, it's like you just got to be everywhere. And I and you know, look, Richards had good activity. He had a good game last night, in my opinion. But it's just really hard to be like to defensively be like. Okay, be in the drop. All right, now box out uh, Jared Allen. Okay, this time we're trapping it. Okay, this time it's we're icing. We're trying to pin the ball on the side. Oh, they just threw it to the Mobley on the short roll, and now it's a lob Allen dunking on top of you know the you know Kelly Oubre at the rim or whatever. And um, so that's tough. So, anyways, I I came impre- I came away impressed uh, with with Richards in this game. And uh, anyways, just wanted to sort of like touch on all three of those points you brought up. They, they do a good job of big to big passing as well. And that that makes it difficult for centers and power forwards that, to to defend those guys. Exactly. That's what I, that's that's sort of what I was what I was what I was mentioning there. I think they do. They and they both can like catch lobs. They both can duck in. They both can pass. They both have like a post game. And they clearly like playing with one another and they can finish on top of anybody in the NBA. <laughs> and the last thing that I that I would mention, and we can probably get into this more as we talk where this this team and this roster is at. But man, the opportunity is there for James Booknight, and he just can't take advantage of it. He just can't, he's incapable of it. He doesn't he doesn't look like an NBA player and hasn't all season. He looks small. He looks slow. 
He looks stiff. He looks like he's lacking in confidence. And I don't know, other than on nights where he like pops up and, and hits a couple catch and shoot threes, then maybe he uses that to attack one closeout and get downhill for a finish, or he gets loose in transition for a finish. Other than that, he, he just brings nothing but negatives to the table. He doesn't play make. He doesn't create advantages. He doesn't help build advantages. They don't have a plan for using him in the offense. His point of attack defense is absolutely atrocious. He can't navigate screens. He gets lost off the ball. This dude is not an NBA player, period, point blank, at least right now. And he is part of the reason why the roster is in such tough shape. Like it's not obviously it's not all his fault, but it's hard to like evaluate this roster and feel like great about it or feel like, you know, slightly positive about it when your lottery pick uh, that's now in his second season after a two year stint in college is I know he's still young, but man, he looks so not just lost, but at an athletic and size disadvantage in a way that I, I think is like, man, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty concerning. And um, I, I would say he's in line for uh, probably, I don't know, maybe a trip to Greensboro um, or some just something has to happen because like what's happening now, like nothing, you know, once every 10 games, maybe you get a couple of positives as Charlotte loses by 12, like he'll have a decent game but it's just it's not it's not enough and um you know i don't know i don't know where it ranks on the list of issues for the hornets but it is definitely like kind of alarming how out of his depth he looks we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I, you're right, BG. Like everything you said, as of now today, I mean, he, he's, I'm not even sure that he's a like super effective G League player. Yeah. I mean, with the, you know, if he gets an assignment, that, that'll, you know, that's yet to be seen. It, it like, can he look like a high volume, like decent efficiency score in the G League? I think that's like an open question right yeah. now because, yeah. and, and I think BG, 
I think BG made some fair points in the preseason and even early in the year regarding kind of the offensive structure that the Hornets uh, were using and, and that it didn't necessarily highlight the strengths of Book Knight. And, and I, I think that was true at the time. I think he's kind of lost that excuse. And I think the only, the only thing you can say is number one, he is still young. Like, like we do, we do have all, all of us have a tendency to move on from guys a little bit too early, uh, kind of in the NBA developmental arc, because it's just, it's just so hard to be patient with these 19 and 20 year olds. And, and you, and you could say that obviously everyone on this team has suffered from the absence of Lamelo Ball, and that's also true too. But there comes a point where you watch a guy and the way he moves, and the way he looks on the floor, and the way he carries himself, and his ability to create any type of advantage on the offensive end, and it's just not there. It's there's just nothing there. And there's two guards on this team. Uh, one in Dennis Smith Jr., who is just in another stratosphere as a useful player in the NBA than James Booknight. And then there's also Teo Maladon, who has certainly been up and down. And like, I think still it's, it's very much still a discussion whether Maladon is anything other than like a replacement level player, but he's like edged out Booknight at this point in the rotation. So those are two guards that any team in the NBA could have signed for nothing in the offseason and they are both more useful than James Booknight right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think even if I think if you gave Bryce McGowan's the runway, probably he would at least give you some drives and some cuts, you know, and give you some some rim pressure that way. It's just look, I know the context isn't ideal for Booknight for a variety of reasons, but like there is some runway here for him to do stuff uh and and have an opportunity. Can't say he's not getting an opportunity this year. And but just none of the production is there. And and I think again, I think the defense is pretty pretty woefully behind um where you would probably hope it to be. So I don't know. We don't need to he he look, he just turned twenty two years old two months ago. He's still young. Um I don't think any of us on this pod were like huge fans of him as a prospect, nor huge fans of the pick. Um, I might have been the highest, and that probably is saying something because I don't watch the draft or don't yeah. watch college. Basketball. I was going to say though, Richie. I mean, if anybody's going to have maybe a, a slightly more optimistic perspective, it might be you. I, are we are we overreacting, or do you think it's mostly kind of fair? You know, where where at least we are from a headspace standpoint on book night. No, no, I, I agree with you guys. It was funny. I tweeted last night in the first quarter where he had a three-minute stint, and I swear there was three or four times just on defense alone. I wasn't even looking at the offensive end because he really didn't make an impact there. <laughs> that he just had – well, he either got beat off ball, he got beat on the ball. Like, it yeah. was just one thing after the other. And it was funny. He got he got removed from the game, and I don't know if that was, like, predetermined or if Clifford saw some things with Book Knight. Yeah, but I've always been a – proponent of playing Teo Maladon over him just what I've seen so far and then to yeah, Brian's point maybe maybe even early. Bryce McGowan's maybe even Bryce McGowan's as well yeah Bryce has looked good in Greensboro <laughs> like I mean he's got obviously you know carte blanche um to, to to like do his thing down there but um yeah I just I think I think even in the even in the 
only flashes of playing time he's gotten for Charlotte this season. I don't think he's been good particularly, but again, he will at least look to get into the paint and Bryce. has has some ability. Yeah, Bryce has some ability to do that. James Booknight can't. He just he can't do it. He can't take guys off the dribble. He can't turn the corner. He just he can't create advantages. He can't. He just he's just not capable of doing it. Um, and uh, that's not his only issue because the, again the defense has been a, a huge red flag as well. But um, who knows? You know, again maybe he'll maybe he'll he'll find it at some point. But right now it just feels he feels as far away from it from like yeah. finding it as <laughs> as as I, like I could at this point I'm as concerned as I've ever been with him. And and that's saying something because I was already pretty worried, even going back to like last, like summer league 2021. Well, since we're talking about the young guys, let's go ahead and pivot. Let's talk about some of the big picture stuff with this team. I think the conversation was always pertinent this season in terms of uh, the direction of this team, but I think it's become more pertinent with LaMelo re-injuring his left ankle he was going after a loose ball on the sidelines late in the game, and he stepped on a fan's foot and rolled the same ankle that he just came back from injury from. Uh, but I asked those who joined our Substack chat, where where is this team headed? Yeah. I just wanted to read off two comments before passing it over to Lee here. And you guys can join this Substack chat for free. It, it's not you know exclusive to our subscribers. But James S. says, Seems like this season is pretty much already over. P.J. Mason and Gordon are players that he would trade. PJ has some value and is still young. I don't think we should re-sign him to any big deal with this roster, and there's a bit of a logjam at the four or five spots. Mason's expiring, preventing development at the five, and almost every Hornets fan is overwatching the offense run through him. Uh, though talented, Gordon can't be counted on, and if Lamelo isn't available, the team around him probably isn't good enough anyway to compete with the upper echelon squads. And then Mo says, Plumley and Ubre being expiring are probably the easiest to move and could even get a decent draft pick from contenders looking for solid bench minutes. I would also free up minutes for the wing and center to really evaluate young players on the fringe. So these are just two comments from some of our listeners in Substack. Lee, I'm going to pass it over to you. And just in terms of what are the internal conversations and debates that you've had with yourself in terms of where this team should go. And I, ha, has it changed since the LaMelo injury or is it just kind of intensified, I guess? Honestly, my perspective has changed pretty dramatically since the offset of the season. I, I started to kind of have a vibe that late in the off season, everyone was so, so down on this team for, for tons of, correct reasons like but I just anytime the overwhelming kind of like hive mind of like Hornets fandom and Twitter or any honestly any kind of sports opinion that goes so hard one way my little antennas always go I can't help it they always go off and it's just like wait a minute like what are people missing here and I kind of started to construct this narrative in my head that like yes Miles Bridges is not going to be there and that's a that's a huge deal but everything else on this roster is is back. Like, not to mention some of the young guys that I thought could maybe take steps. I thought we might have another Lamelo Ball leap in front of us, and th- and that's not necessarily uh, his. Obviously, he's just been banged up all year. I mean, the guys the guy has not really played a healthy game all year. I don't think. 
So that still may be in the cards. So, so I go from kind of maybe trying to zag a little bit when everyone else was zigging in the preseason to now a situation where, you know, we don't have to belabor the injuries. But, I mean, this team in the standings is already five games at a at an eighth place in the East. They are, I think, the only two teams, if this team truly wants to do it, if they truly want to start to sell some assets and go into more of a tank mode than they're already in, I mean, this team could be bad enough with just the regular roster and the injuries, but if they really wanted to, if they really wanted to sell a few things, I think yeah. Detroit and Houston are really the only teams that can rival us from a race to the bottom standpoint. Everybody else is either got some, I mean, and even those teams have interesting young talent, but any other team has like ascending young talent, like SGA is looking like an all NBA guard and like dragging the thunder to a 500 record. Mm -hmm. The Pacers are frisky. And so, and I'll wrap up here, but my perspective is now, that this start can be a blessing in disguise. And if this front office and this ownership can just swallow their pride for six months, if they can sell a couple assets at the deadline, and we can talk about what that return could be and who that might be, that is the playbook that is sitting there on a silver platter. And and I'm, whatever, reflective enough to realize that my preseason opinion was wrong and they need to pivot now. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, it's, it, again, we talked about this two episodes ago when the three of us and Spencer did a sort of like talk, hit on some of these same topics. It's obvious, like what the best path forward should be. And I know it's a little bit, it can be tricky when you're inside the organization and the mandate from on high is to win basketball games. Um, that seemed to be not even a great idea in my mind before the season started and to be at this place now where you're what four and 13 on the season. The only win you had in this entire month was when it was against Orlando and it was when Palo, their best Palo Bancaro, their best player literally didn't play in the game. Like that's all you got. And even then it wasn't like that was a blowout win for the Hornets. Um, right now, as of this morning, as of November 19th, Saturday, uh, the Hornets are tied with Houston and Detroit, um, for, you know, lottery odds. Like they have a bottom three record in the NBA right now. They have a, currently they have a 14% chance of the first pick. They've got a 13 and a half percent chance of the second pick. They've got a 12.7% chance of the third. They've got an 11.9% chance of the fourth pick all equal with Detroit and Houston who have marginally worse records. Um, The Lakers are right there at the bottom too, but that's a team that is going to be because the Pelicans have swap rights on that pick as has been discussed much um, so far this season. Like the Lakers are going to be incentivized to do, to not completely bottom out. Right. Right. Exactly. They have LeBron, they have these veterans um, and they don't like, I don't think anyone in that organization wants to see the Lakers like win the lottery, you know, and see Victor Wembanyama put on a Lakers hat <laughs> for two I mean, seconds. You epic know, disaster. You epic. Know, disaster. It, you just like can't, it just like, it can't happen. 
And I do let's, think let's let's benefit the Lakers, man. Let let let's start uh, giving some of our assets to them. I would be I would be I mean that would awesome. be that would be a win win. And like we've talked, I think all at very at different points in time, there really are like five guys on the roster that are trade chips. Mm-hmm. Um, Ubre, we talked we've talked about this. In in Richie, you've mentioned this several times as well. Like Plumlee and Ubre are the two like cleanest, easiest ones, right? They're expiring contracts, they're good salary numbers. Um, it's just a clean, easy way to maybe scoop up an, another young player or a, a pick or something like you know, a protected pick or a couple of seconds. Some I don't, you know, I don't know how much value you know a, a guy like a sort of decent playmaking backup center probably like Plumlee has you know he's played well this season so maybe that's boosted his value you know I don't know how easily other teams are able to like look through what Kelly Oubre is doing and be like he's scoring 19 points per game wow but he also is doing it on 17 shots per game and who, who can we convince that they're one Kelly Oubre away <laughs> I don't man I do not no, and it's like I actually think he could like in one kind in a certain kind of role. It's like if he if he could have this same mentality of where he's trying to get downhill and he's not he's really not getting to the line much above his like career rate in terms of free throw attempt rate. But Richie's touched on this like he's he's been a, he's gotten more pick and roll possessions. He's he's opened things up as a driver a little bit. Um, you know, I, I do think it's I think it's fair to say he's been a little bit more well rounded this yeah. year, even though he still does that thing where you think he's shooting thirty nine percent from three, but he's actually shooting thirty three percent from three. That's just like his mo his entire career. Yeah, yeah. And then you you have someone like you know Gordon who I mean, he wasn't great last night, but when healthy this season, he's he's been the team's best player. <laughs> like he's he's been good. Um, he is a good basketball player. It's just it's it's hard to count on him. It really does seem like a team like the Lakers is really the only one if they ever were like, okay, we've got to, it's time to move on from Russ. And they're the only team that has like that kind of salary and like the desperation. Plus, Hayward fits there. Um, and you could swing a similar type of deal with Terry Rozier. Both those guys, I think, are a little bit tougher to move, A, because of the higher salary numbers and because Terry just has so much money attached to this contract. And like maybe a team, maybe there are, there's a team that would, that would like that. That would say like, no, this is great. We got, we get Terry for four more years. Like that, this is all like, he's, he's a good offensive player. Like he can really shoot. We can do some stuff with this. So like, but my guess is that most teams are seeing that as like a slight ding to his trade value, as opposed to mm-hmm. a positive. I could be wrong. I think if I, you know, it, it, I think it's almost like if it were some, if his contract were something between an expiring in the amount of like time and money he has on it. Like if it was, if there were, you know, two years left on it or something like that. I think maybe we're having a, it's it's a nice it's a nice mix yeah. or whatever. But I don't think we're quite there. And then PJ is the fifth guy. You know, recently I think we've seen his name get brought up. Uh, I think Zach Lowe mentioned him as a possibility for maybe a Golden State trade. Uh, like obviously PJ would be incredible addition for Golden State. Like he would check so many boxes for them. I will say the proposed trade of like Wiseman for PJ. Um, I'm gonna need a little more for that. If I'm, yeah, that makes no sense. Uh, I need, yeah. I need, I need a little more for like you're gonna have to throw in 
I, I need Moody or I need a pick. Like, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like you just sent yeah. James Wiseman to the G league. <laughs> like your, your, your defense. And it's not all his fault to be clear, but your, your defense has trouble when he comes in the game and PJ, though, I know he's getting ready to become a restricted free agent. He is a winning basketball player <laughs> who could help you potentially like contend for another championship. So like, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit, I'm going to need, I'm going to need a little bit more than, than just James Wiseman. And I do think it is interesting to see. It will be, I will be fascinated to see if PJ is on this roster at the end of the season, um, what that restricted free agency process looks like. Um, we saw some numbers floated this week where I think it was Michael Scudo, Scudo, I, I might be mispronouncing his name, but he reported that the Hornets during before the season offered PJ an extension that was in the Wendell Carter Jr. range, like what he got from Orlando, which was like 50 over four years, which like, I mean, that would have been an incredible contract to get to get PJ on and from like a, a value standpoint. And it did seem like PJ's camp was looking closer to 20 um, a year, which I'm not surprised. My guess would be that you could land somewhere in the middle of those two, you know, and so you're paying PJ. 15 16 17 million a year over four years or something like that so uh, you know i don't know how you guys would feel about that i even as even as this team was like getting set to rebuild i would happily sign pj to that kind of extension if it was 75 over four or you know 70 over four or like whatever that is um because he's still just what 23 24 years old you can play him with Lamelo. You can play him with any of the other guys you might bring in the door. Victor, Scoot, uh, either the Thompson twins, Derek Whitehead, whatever. Um, and because also you can trade it to down the line if you needed to, and like get some stuff for it, right? Because this is a guy that's proven to be a starter that can guard a bunch of positions, can shoot, can give you a little bit of playmaking, albeit in probably a smaller capacity than what's being asked of him right now with Charlotte. And that's where you're seeing some of the the issues with him come in in terms of the half-court efficiency this year. But uh, but I would like, again, if he's still on the roster, and look, I'd be curious to see if Charlotte tries to hit him with one of those offers, or do they just wait and see, like, you know, if someone throws a big offer sheet. I mean, obviously, PJ's not getting a max or anything like that, you know, but, like, yeah, I assume Charlotte would be willing to match, but I'll be curious to see if they can sort of, like, lock him in at a different number mm. ahead of you know some other team hitting it with an offer sheet. Kind of to Lee's original point in terms of how my views have shifted since the injury, I've always wondered like where this team would be or where they could be if they were relatively healthy, which obviously the team is not. You know, if if Lamelo, DSJ, and Cody Martin, who's played one minute this year, Hayward had all been healthy. We'll never know that answer because, you know, they, they've just dug themselves too big of a hole. And I think in the preseason, I predicted them to be 12th. But who knows? They could be in contention for the play-in spot had they all been healthy. And then I asked myself, which is kind of what Lee was alluding to, how would this team be if they just played the season out as is, maybe made one minor deal, and just with the revolving doors of injured players, where would they fall? And... I feel like you got to pick a side and because they're so close to getting to the point to where they can bottom out and they're not really going anywhere. You, you got to, you can't count on the health of the players. It doesn't 
make sense to not entertain some ideas for trades. And I think the question that I'm asking myself is how aggressive do the Hornets want to be? And uh, could you see themselves doing some, some kind of trade for Westbrook, which to me would be kind of considered on the aggressive side because it would require multiple players. And when I look at the Lakers roster or the Lakers picks, like there's not much that kind of sticks out to me in terms of just like, you know, it just doesn't do it for me. And I'm not really sure if they're going to go after Westbrook, but I've always considered that as a possible option. And you guys were talking about uh, Kelly Oubre in terms of how you can convince a team to take him on. Have you guys heard about this theory, about the Kelly Oubre theory, whatever team he's on, that they're going to win the NBA championship this year? Have you heard about this pattern? Listen to this theory. So it revolves around draft picks. It has alternated between every other year, the 15th pick and the first pick. And he was the 15th pick in the 2015 draft. So the way that it has worked, the 2011 draft, Kawhi Leonard was drafted 15th. Yeah. And he won a championship in 2019. Mm -hmm. And then 2012, Anthony Davis was the first overall pick and he won a championship in 2020. And so the pattern continues all the way down to last year where Wiggins was the first pick in 2014. So it goes first, 15th, first, 15th. And so the... The draft class after Wiggins, Ubre was the fifteenth. So this pattern has—I mean, it's only happened for what the past four years, but that's how you—that's how you sell it. That's how you sell Ubre. He's—he's he's a that's prime candidate. Say. Yeah, it's like that's that's got to be like number one slide in the pitch deck. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get- whatever team that you're you're trying to convince uh, that Kelly Ubre, you know, they're they're one Kelly Ubre away from from just getting over that hump. I. I will say this. <laughs> Mitch Kupchak calling up uh, Lawrence yeah. Frank from the Clippers and reading him off like the Fibonacci sequence of yeah. <laughs> to try to get try to get some stuff from the Clippers for Kelly Oubre. Mitch is like, get that uh get that get that young kid in here. I need him to I need him to whip up a deck yeah. <laughs> and lay out a chart. Like we gotta make this I, I will say one thing I think I have stayed fairly steadfast on, and I realize this is like potentially naive if the Hornets truly do kind of commit to selling assets. Like I re- I'm still really trying to draw a sand in the line that I just would not want PJ in any of those deals. And I know, I know the trade-off with that is – the value you're going to get in return is going to be much more muted. Like, like I do understand the trade-offs. I just think he, for all the things BG has talked about, I mean, for all the things that all of us have talked about on this pod on why he's valuable and, and that he fits the timeline so well as well. And he, and he pairs with Lamelo. So, I mean, all these reasons, right. I do want to maybe not throw cold water on, but just kind of caution Hornets fans on expecting, you know, any type of, uh, outsized return on either Ubre or Plumley. Like I do think it helps that they are playing, you know, relatively well to their value right now. But I mean, just as like a, uh, it's not a, it's not a perfect comparison, but at least gets you in kind of the ballpark a little bit. You think about what we gave up for for Montrez Harrell last year near the deadline, and it was Vernon Carey who was a G League, you know, a, a young G League prospect, but kind of like a a tier, you know, two or three kind of young prospect guy. And then 
a future second round pick. Yeah. So yeah. like you're not gonna get a first round pick for Plumley. Yeah. I don't I don't even think you're gonna get like a fake first round pick for Ubre either. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't move them because it makes you worse and you still add some future seconds to the war chest. And then the last thing I would say is I do think the Laker thing is interesting because I don't think bringing Russ here, even if he goes like full Russ mode and, you know, averages 24, seven and seven on like really bad shooting for a bad Hornets team. I don't think he's going to like drag us to, to any type of no. like plan contention, particularly when you think about the fact that Rozier is probably going out the door. I mean, moving Rozier is what would make this team horrible, like truly because, yeah. Yeah. because of his unique like shooting skills. He keeps, he shoots us into games sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he's been the healthy one too, compared yeah. to Hayward and Lamella. Yeah, exactly. He's been the healthy one too. He's been more sturdy. So the only caveat I would say to, to some of Richie's comments is I, I would be interested in those two future Lakers second round picks. I think they're, their kind of like multi-year future is as cloudy and as murky as anyone's. And they, are so devoid of future assets that there is a timeline in which they're just horrific in two or three years. But I don't think they'd give us both of those future picks for kind of the haul that we can put on the table. But if you can get Russ as an expiring to reset some of the money and get maybe one of those future picks and, and a young player, I think you might have to do it. Yeah. A couple of, a couple of things. Also, like if you, if you do move Razier, I know the cap has set the spike in 2025, so two to three years from now. Um, so it's like, you know, you could fit a, a, a theoretical PJ extension in, I think, pretty easily, especially yep. because Hayward will be gone by that no matter what. Um, but also, if you move Rozier, and even if you can't trade Hayward, his salary just eventually cleared out at some point. It's just like so easy to fit a PJ extension in, even if you're paying him. $22 million a year or whatever, right? Like it, it's, it's not, it's going to be a, a drop in a bucket compared to what the cap's going to look like and what a rebuilding book for, for Charlotte is, is how that's going to appear. Also in these kinds of trades, like the, these things that what Lee is mentioning for, um, you know, for Plumlee and for Ubre, like that is an opportunity to also lean on your scouting department for the potential to second draft someone. I mean, it's essentially like, I mean, for Dennis Smith Jr., this is more than a second draft. This is like a fourth draft for him. He was, you know, on to say he was on the fringes of the league in this offseason is like, you know, saying something, but he's he's earned himself a contract for next year at the least. Like he's played very well this season, but it would be a good opportunity for you to take a flyer on a young player. And if you're going to be leaning into a rebuild, that is a great way to, um, to 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 pick up even a even a blah uh, second round pick, but also try to get a twenty one you know twenty two year old guy that didn't work out as first stop. Um, and look, maybe maybe some teams feel this way about James Booknight in Charlotte. By all means, opposing teams, uh, if that if that's the case, uh, bring your offers. But um, the two other things, just very, very quickly, and then Richie, you can take this any direction you want to. I'd be curious to know um, when, how you guys. And I, this is obviously pretty situational, so maybe hard to hard to answer. But it's like, do you think PJ theoretically has more trade value now as he's 
on the last year of his rookie contract? Mm. Or does he have more value in like one to 2.5 years from now on an extension with some cost certainty um, as a, like, you know, by that point he's, you know, he's older. So maybe a team that would be trading for him is even more in win now mode. I mean, I think PJ helps you win bat games tonight. I think he can be on the court in playoff games and a bunch of scenarios. So I don't think that's going away, but I do think that's an interesting thing to think about. Like what, what nets you the bigger return? And like, to be clear, like I, I want PJ to be in Charlotte for a long time. Like he's, Obviously, you guys know how I feel about him. He's a great, great young player. Um, but like, what? When does he become a more valuable trade, trade chip um, potentially? And then the last thing is just like, what is the incentive to not bottom out? Like, please, like by all means, like if there is a good reason at this point at four and thirteen with Lamelo injured, <laughs> like re-injuring the same ankle within the span of like four to five weeks. And Cody Martin having barely played this season, what like, what is the incentive to to win basketball? Like, I don't even, I don't even know how you get back into contention for a playoff spot. You know, like, I mean, maybe it's not that inconceivable, but certainly feels that way. Um, they've won four games all season. They're they're bottom ten in offense and defense. They're they're bottom three in offense. They're bottom three in half court offense. Like they, this is not like they're trying hard and like uh, they haven't like let go of the rope. Like the Cleveland game made that abundantly clear. Like they're still fighting, but like I mean, at some point in time, you got to ask yourself like, what are? I mean, I guess that's what we're doing here. But like, it's because it's not. It just becomes like at a certain point, you have to stop asking yourself what are we doing and ask yourself, well, why would we not do this other thing? Like we don't have to be rudderless here. We don't have to, we have some agency um, and we need to, we need to like, it's just very obvious, like what has to happen. Um, and, and I guess I go, I know that can be tough if jobs are on the line, et cetera. But um, anyways, uh, Richie, any thoughts on, on something you had on mind or any of the stuff that I just brought up? Yeah, I'll quickly touch upon what you just brought up. Yeah, if there is an incentive not to do what we're talking about, I just haven't heard it yet. Uh, I can't imagine there being a reason out there not to bottom out. Uh, in terms of the uh, P.J. Washington thing, I think if you expect him to progress in the way that you are seeing some of the little things that he's added to his game, like off the dribble stuff and just his natural progression, I think he probably would have more value in a year and a half from now, just because if you're trading PJ now, you'd be committed to not only him for this half a season, but also bringing him back next year because you'd be giving up assets to take him on um, because he is a free agent for this upcoming off season. Those would be my only two things about that, Brian. And I think the whole conversation that we're having now too it's not just about bottoming out and getting a better draft pick, which it is, but it also opens up the conversation about maximizing the opportunities for some of these young players and getting a better evaluation on Kai Jones, on Bryce McGowan's. Uh, if you want to throw James Booknight in there as well, because it just seems like those guys are not getting enough minutes. Now, I will say this. I think even Clifford mentioned this. You still need a couple veterans on the team to kind of show them the ropes. I do feel like Gordon Hayward is like kind of that guy that could stick around for this year, or next year, just for that purpose alone, because it's very hard to evaluate 
Bryce McGowan's when he's surrounded by rookies or second year players. So that's the only thing that I will say in terms of trading away too many pieces. But I do think that whether it's Mason and or Kelly, maybe entertain Terry Rozier as well. Try to trade away some of those guys, but I do think that you can't have a roster full of young players because then that evaluation process is very, very hard to kind of figure out. Yeah, well, and that's a great point, Richie, not only because of the reasons you just laid out, but also because let's just say in a perfect world, the Hornets do what we want them to do and they truly lean into uh, you know, go, you know, going hard for the scoop Wimby sweepstakes. Let's say they, they land Wimbignana. Like you still want useful players on this roster and it doesn't necessarily have to be Ubre and Plumlee from a resign, but it does need to be Nick Richards. It does need to be Jalen McDaniels. It does need to be PJ Washington. It does need to be Dennis Smith jr. Like there are some toolsy, nice players on this roster that could fit around a Wimbignana, PJ, LaMelo Ball kind of young core, you know, throw out whatever's going to happen with Miles Bridges. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. And then, because let's be realistic here, if if the Hornets do what we want them to do and do a kind of half-season tank here, they're not going to do a three-year tank. Like, they're going to try and flip a really awesome top three pick into a competitive roster. And if Gordon Hayward's still around – and can be, um, you know, like less leaned on. I mean, I, I wanted to bring this up earlier. Like the guy played forty-two minutes last night. Like, I mean, good lord, he plays. It's it's like, it's I'm, pretty disappointing how this season. Like there was chatter this off off season of like, no, there's like a plan, right, to like manage Gordon, and it's like, no, nah, no, nah, actually. If he's available, he's just going to play a lot. He plays 40 minutes. It's <laughs> like, what? and look, like I've said that, like, I'm not a freaking doctor, but like, I, I'm, you know, it also ain't rocket science. Like, I, I don't understand how they just, you know, they just push him to the max when he's out there. It seems like the only other, the only other things I'll say is, I mean, Brian brought it up. This team's won four games and they started two and one. So like the bu- the the, <laughs> the bottom has clearly fallen out. And and you know, it's 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 just time. It's just time. I had one more small thought, but it but it has escaped me in the cold sweat that I've fallen into. So <laughs> I think I'll I'll pass the torch here. <laughs> you know, I hope Lamelo. They hope the ankle uh, just is okay long term. Um, and man, take as much time as possible to get back. Like there is no rush. Um, I don't think he's going to be rushed, but I, you know, I don't want him to be either. And to this point, the last thing I would say about both of you guys are sort of touching on having veterans or just like, sort of like even some guys to kind of grow with the, with one of these picks or whatever. I think Cody Martin at a healthy makes kind of like checks both those boxes, um, because he's, yeah. you know, he seems youngish, but you got to remember he was in college for five years and this is his fourth year in the NBA too. So like he, and I mean that he's got the, the, the mentality, like he's got, he's got the dog in him, right. You know, like he, so he would maybe make sense to be a, to be a part of that build. And then who knows at some point he's on a great contract to maybe trade and get you something uh, down the line, um, as well. And I should be, it just, I think this is stating the obvious, but Obviously, like this draft, the 2023 draft, it seems special and perhaps it will end up being special. But 
what we're advocating here for Charlotte would be best practices regardless of who is projected to be of regardless of, of who the top top end talent is supposed to be in the NBA draft. Like it is, it is, it is abundantly clear what has to happen. Now there's, I think added pressure on it this year because of Eamon Thompson and Scoot Henderson and, and because of Victor Wembanyama. but this would be the case regardless. Like a year ago, you know, if it's Paolo Bencaro and Chet Holmgren, it, it's the same thing. Like it, it should, it shouldn't change. Um, so I don't know. I, I do want to get that out there. It's not my thoughts on this aren't just based off of, wow, this looks like an incredible high end, potentially like some cornerstone, you know, all NBA future all star talent. Um, this is these are best practices no matter what. So, anyways, I did want to just mention that very quickly, but I think I'm all I think I'm tapped out here. <laughs> my, when and I remembered my last thought, and it's very brief, and it's 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 a question that was asked on this podcast earlier. What's what's the incentive for not doing this? And I don't think there is a correct answer to that. I think the only calculation within the right answer, which is to lean into it, is what Richie alluded to earlier. And it's maybe the front office and ownerships decides we're bad enough. We we actually can ride out this roster. We can let the Ubre and Plumley, yeah, and I believe Batum money finally fall yes. off this summer. Amazingly so, incredible, and, yeah, yeah. We can let those three contracts fall off this summer, and we can actually still be in the running for a top four pick for sure. And and, and we don't and, and we didn't get anything at the deadline that enticed us enough mm-hmm. to move one of our young players. Um, for future picks or anything like so again i think the only calculation is at at what degree do you lean into it and maybe the answer is we ride out the roster with the injuries and we're bad enough that we don't have to sell yeah then there's just the opportunity cost you know what i mean of the potential of not maybe you know adding a adding a pick or whatever so but yeah you're right like that was one of the things i said before this season was like I just didn't think they were going to be good enough to even really con- like. I just thought they were on paper they were they were not going to be good enough to like contend for the playoff spot. And that looked like a foolish thing to say the first week of the season, <laughs> you know, when they were playing well even without Lamelo. But uh, but obviously things have like you know deteriorated far beyond like where I was you know projecting things to be in early October. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap here. Uh, I definitely want to hear you guys' thoughts, not on this podcast, but on a on a future podcast about like the fourth overall pick. I, I wonder, know like mm. how big of a drop off that is for those prospects. So, if the Hornets tried to do this without trading away too much, I wonder if they only got to the fourth pick or something like that. How much of a a failure that would be? But we appreciate everyone for uh, tuning in to another episode. For Brian, for Lee, I am Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code balance10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.